Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Porter. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Community. It's good to be together on this nice snowy weekend again. Uh, good to be together online. Thank you so much for joining us as well in this way. You may have made a better decision, but we are braver. So uh, you might be wiser, but we are braver. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Uh, we are starting a new series this morning, and uh, I want to tell you a little bit about why we're starting this series right now at this time. We're starting a series on what's called the book of the Hebrews or the letter to the Hebrews. And we don't know who wrote this letter. We've got some really good historical um, solid guesses as to who wrote it, but we don't know who wrote it, but we do know why he wrote. We do know why he wrote. He wrote to talk to Christians who were tempted and were feeling pressure in the urban setting that they were living in, in a pluralistic society where people had all different kinds of religions, all different kinds of philosophies on how to live, and he was writing to them to remind them who Jesus was and that Jesus was greater. Greater than any other religious um, organization you can give yourself to, greater than any other philosophy or way or life that you can give yourself to, Jesus was greater. And usually around this time of the year, as we're leading into Easter, we tend to focus on, specifically focus on who Jesus is. And a lot of times we'll do that by reading a gospel, the gospel of Mark or the gospel of Luke or some other gospel that's focused on who Jesus is. This year we're going to focus on Jesus through the letter of the Hebrews because the whole point of the letter is Jesus is greater, Jesus is better, and if this is who Jesus is, if this is all true, then this is how we can live. And this is why even if Jesus calls us to great cost, he's worth it. He's worth it. So one of the things I want to ask you to do as we begin the series, and I usually don't start a series this way, but I want to ask you to do something in this series. I want to ask you at least once a week, at least once a week, that you would go to our app or our website and download, or you can go to the um, info center and download our conversation guide. And one time during the week that you would work through this conversation guide either on your own or in a small group or in your large group of your missional community or as a family or as a husband and wife that you would go through this conversation guide because it's going to help you maximize what's going on in this letter and not just be only relying on a teaching time but to apply it to your life. Apply who Jesus is to your life. So one time a week, small group on your own, as a family, as a large group missional community, sometime this week, go through the conversation guide. And then no matter how you pray or what time you pray, this is the other thing we're gonna ask as we go into the series, is that you would add just a simple prayer, just a simple prayer to what you're already praying or to start praying in this kind of way. Just say these words to God. Lord, help me see Jesus is greater. Lord, help me see Jesus is greater. That's all I wanna ask you to do as we start out this series, those two things. Let me pray that right now, 
as we look, before we look at the passage and jump into our time. Would you join me in praying? Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together right here, right now, online and in the room. And Spirit of the living God, I ask that you would work in everyone here or online, everyone who's gonna hear this teaching, that you would help us see that Jesus is greater. See that Jesus is far superior. Believe in the depths of our hearts that Jesus is greater. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna be starting today on page 1001 in the Bibles in front of you, if you would like to turn there, or we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter one, one through four. Hebrews chapter one, one through four today, page 1001. All right, we good, over there? All right. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A friend of mine was telling me about his college experience, and this is, oh, maybe about five decades ago uh, when he was in school and in the university where he was at in the fall to try to promote a lot of camaraderie and getting to know one another within the dorms, they would have these campus competitions and each dorm was in competition to each against all the other ones. They do different activities throughout the week. And one of the dorms, one, uh, one of the dorms started to talk about, you know, just trash talk to all the other ones. You know, they put up signs in the campus hallways and uh, on the bulletin boards and all that kind of stuff. If you know what a bulletin board was, uh, is anymore, but they put them up in the bulletin boards and put these signs up and, you know, like, hey, boating hall is the best and boating is the greatest. But there was one other hall that came up with their own slogan and hopefully this person came in and got into a marketing situation at some point in time. And the slogan was just simply this, Norton Hall is better. Norton Hall is better. Now the beauty of that is no matter who you are, what hall you are and whatever hall you might do and be a part of and whatever you might accomplish, they just emphasize, yeah, we're better. We're better, we're better, we're better. And that's one of the themes of the book of Hebrews. One of the themes that the author's trying to get across to us over and over and over again is that Jesus is better. Now the context, the context is that you had Jewish men and women and what were called God-fearers. These were Gentiles who followed after Judaism, but they didn't take on all the badges of being an, an Israelite. 
And they came to trust in Jesus. And there was cultural pressure to them to start to deconstruct their trust in Jesus and deconstruct and go back to what they used to live like. Either go back to Judaism and go back to the sacrifice and sacrificial system or go back to being a God-fearer, those types of things. And the author is writing saying, this is who Jesus is. And Jesus is greater than anything else that you can go back to. And he is beginning this letter in a unique way, beginning this letter in a unique way that he doesn't introduce himself. He'll get to that later on at the end of the letter. He doesn't introduce himself and all. He doesn't send any greetings to anybody. He begins with this statement of who Jesus is, four verses of who Jesus is, because he's, designed, he's attempting to capture the hearts of the people that he's writing to. This is Jesus, pure, unadulterated Jesus. Don't leave him and don't give your life to anything other than him because this is Jesus. And he says many things in these four verses, but three I want to pay attention to this morning. First, that Jesus is the final and the full revelation of God. Unpack that in a second. That Jesus is the point of all history. And that Jesus is the purification for our sins. First, that Jesus is the final and full revelation of God. The author begins this way again in verses 1 and 2. Long ago and at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Now, we just finished a series on the Bible, and what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's reminding us what the Bible is all about, that in what's called the, the days long ago and in time past, he's talking about the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. God spoke to us in various ways and at various times, but it was, it was at that time, it was sort of piecemeal and incomplete. He would speak through commands. He would speak to, uh, through covenants and poems and prophecies, and he'd speak in all different kinds of ways so that people would know him. That's what the Old Testament was about, is it's God speaking so that God could be known because he wants to be in relationship with us. But, a time has come when Jesus showed up. When God fulfilled all those things that he was speaking in the Old Testament. And now God speaks in a son, a person, a human being. If you're new to the Bible, or maybe you've been reading for the Bible, reading to the Bible through many times, there's like three movements that the Bible goes through. Three big movements that the Bible goes through. Genesis through Malachi, the Old Testament, is someone, it could be called this way, someone is coming, God is sending someone to fix the mess. The first four books of the New Testament, Jesus is the one whom God has sent to fix the mess. And then the rest of the New Testament, Romans through uh, Revelation, God has sent him now this is how we live. This is the three big movements if you're trying to understand how the Bible fits together. That's the storyline of the Bible. 
And the author is trying to emphasize here that God has now spoken through his son, whom he called Jesus. And that means that we do not just simply pay attention to Jesus' teachings, which we do. We've got a lot of them recorded in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We don't just pay attention to his teachings, though his teachings are very important. We also pay attention to how Jesus treats people. How does he act with people? Why? The author tells us why. Because the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature is what he says. So when we're reading about Jesus and what he did and what he said, how he treated people, the emotions he had and when, we're reading about somebody who is the exact representation, the exact imprint of God. When we look at Jesus, we, some, we see someone with, we see God, what God would be like if he put skin on because that is exactly what he has done. Our middle son, Ian, plays drums here regularly on Sunday morning and people who've not been around maybe faith community for some time that they, they know me a little bit but they don't know our family history and that we have three sons, which we do. Oftentimes people come up to me after, after Ian is playing drums and they're like, was your son playing drums this morning? I'm like, yeah, like, oh, totally, I knew it, man. He looks just like you. He looks just like you. And I'm like, I know, he's wonderfully handsome, thank you. But he gets this beauty from his mom, right? There is in Ian, and all three of our sons, but there is especially in Ian and in Seth, our youngest son, this resemblance to me. So when you see one of our sons, you see me. You see my facial structure. You see my nose. What the Bible's trying to tell us and what Jesus is trying to tell us is that when you see me, you've seen God. And not so much about the facial features. There was nothing like unique about Jesus' physical appearance. The Bible tells us that drew people to him. It's like, oh man, he's a handsome guy. He must be divine. That's not what was going on. Jesus is saying, when you see how I treat other people, when you interact with me or when I interact with you, you know that you are interacting with the living God. I have come to express his heart to a world that's longing to know him. And you can know who he is. Jesus calms storms. Why? Because he puts the seasons together and he moves the fronts around. Jesus interacts with people that are outcasts and unclean in society and he cleanses them and he heals them and he brings them in to his inner circle. One of my favorite stories of Jesus is in John chapter four, where Jesus talks to a woman, it's called the woman at the well, we don't know her name. All we know is that she was a Samaritan woman, so she was someone who the Jews looked down on. 
despised. Her sexual history made her an outcast, an embarrassment. And Jesus spends an afternoon talking to her, crossing all kinds of social boundaries. Why? Because he's expressing to her and to you and me that God wants a relationship with her. The only way to know what God is like is to know Jesus. Anything else is pure speculation. Jesus is saying, when you see me, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, when you see Jesus, when you read about him in the stories about what he's done, you see God's heart. You're interacting with God's heart. In Jesus, what makes him greater than anything else is that he is God with skin on. Come to get us. Come to save us. Come to be in relationship with us. Do you see Jesus that great? One of the reasons why I love Christianity Explored here, which is a course that we do, our next one is coming up starting on April 20th after Easter. Registration opens up on Wednesday, March 22nd, but what I love about Christianity Explored is that not only do we have a good meal, not only do we have wonderful hosts, but it's seven weeks in a row where we're looking at the life of Jesus. In one of the earliest historical documents about Jesus, the Gospel of Mark, we're looking at the life of Jesus. Who was Jesus? What did he do? And what does that mean for me? Because no matter what we do with the rest of the Bible and how we put it all together, Jesus is the one that actually fits it all together. And if Jesus is really who he says he is, then we can live with some of the questions, we can live with some of the doubt, we can live with some of the uncertainties and that kind of stuff because we know that Jesus is who he says he is. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then we follow him no matter what. And if Jesus isn't who he says he is, well, then it doesn't really matter anyway. What do we do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? I just want to invite you that if you are wondering about who Jesus is, you can sign up for Christianity Explored, again, starting up on March 22nd. And I want to ask you, if you've known Jesus for a long time and you've been following Jesus for a long time, that you would start praying now about somebody that you could invite to come with you to Christianity Explored. You can bring any question that you want as we look at the life of Jesus and seek to Seek to see who is Jesus, what did he do, and what does that mean for me? Because in the life of Jesus, we see the heart of God. And Jesus says, I am gentle and I am lowly of heart. It's amazing. God is merciful and mighty. Why is Jesus greater? Jesus is greater because he is the exact representation of who God is in human form. 
Something I want you to consider. I'm going to change a little bit of a direction here, but I want you to consider this just for a second. One author talks this way. Consider the slant of the earth right now, the slant of the earth tilted at an angle of 23 degrees produces all of our seasons. Scientists tell us that if the earth had not been tilted exactly as it is, vapors from the oceans would move both north and south, piling up vast continents of ice. Maybe our trajectory has changed, I don't know. If the moon were only 50,000 miles away from the earth instead of 250,000 miles away, the tides of the oceans would be so enormous that all continents would be submerged in water and even the mountains, the great mountain ranges would be eroded by water. If the crust, if the crust of the earth had only been, had been only 10 feet thicker, then there would be no oxygen and without it, all animal life would die and so would we. Had the oceans been a few feet deeper, carbon dioxide and oxygen would not, would have been absorbed and no vegetable life would exist. The earth's weight has been estimated at six sextillion tons. That's a six with 23 zeros after it. Yet it's perfectly balanced and turns easily on its axis. It rotates daily at the rate of more than 1,000 miles per hour or 25,000 miles each day. And this adds up to 9 million miles a year. And considering the tremendous weight of six sextillion tons rolling at this fantastic speed around the visible axis held in place by unseen bands of gravitation. The earth revolves in its own orbit around the sun, making the long elliptical circuit of about 600 million miles each year, which means we are right now traveling through space at 19 miles per second or about 68,000 miles per hour. The nine major planets in our solar system range in distance from the sun from 36 million to 3,664 million miles. Yet each moves around the sun in exact precision, with orbits ranging from 88 days for Mercury to 240 years for Pluto, if Pluto's a planet. Still, the sun is only one major star in the 100 billion burning orbs that comprise our Milky Way. That's just a little bit about our galaxy. Consider you for a moment. You are a human being. Your heart beats 100,000 times a day. You produce 100 million red blood cells, new red blood cells a day. Your brain is the most complex supercomputer known to humanity. You have 60,000 blood vessels in your body, and your skin is constantly replacing itself. You are astoundingly amazing, and we live in an astoundingly amazing galaxy. And one of the questions that comes to us, if we are honest with what is going on around us and the world that we live in and who we are as human beings, one of the questions that comes to us is, what is it all for? What's it all for? Stephen Hawking, who is no friend to Jesus, wrote this. 
we find ourselves in a bewildering world. We want to make sense of what we see around us and to ask, what is the nature of the universe? What is our place in it? And where did it come from? Why is it the way that it is? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What's the point of life? What's the point of living? And these are not just questions for intro to philosophy class in university as a freshman. We all answer these questions in some way. What is the point? Some of us say, the point, quite frankly, is me. I'm going to be true to myself. That's my purpose in life. I'm going to be true to myself. But then the question comes, well, which version of you are you going to be true to? Some of us make achievement the point of our life. I want to accomplish as much as I possibly can, academically, athletically, financially. It's all about achievement. I want to make my name great. I want to be remembered. To what end? You're going to be forgotten at some point in time. Some of us are going to go for something more noble than maybe achievement and being true to ourselves. We're going to go to family. The most important thing about my life is my family. And I want to serve my family and I want my family to do well. Or I want to make a contribution to history, to society. I want to do something good with my life. But the question still comes back to, to what end? Is that purpose big enough to handle all the joys and all the sorrows that you and I go through until we find ourselves in the grave. What's the point? What's the purpose? And the author of Hebrews tells us, if Jesus is all that Jesus says that he is, he's the point of history. He writes in verses two and three about Jesus, whom he, the whom there is Jesus, whom Jesus, whom God appointed the heir of all things, the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. The word heir, the heir of all things, what does that mean? When you're the heir of an estate, that means you're inheriting everything. You are the heir. And what, what the author's telling us is that Jesus is the heir of all the world, all human history, everything that happens, everything that exists, you and me, he is the heir of us. We belong to him. Why? Because he's the one through whom we were created. We belong to him as creator. We belong to him as the heir. He's the point towards which all human history is going. And right now he is also the sustainer of everything. That's what the author's trying to tell us. Sun, moon, stars, marriage, family, relationships, work, injustices, you, me, deep sorrows, deep joys, deep disappointments. He, Jesus, alone is big enough and worthy enough to be the heir and the point towards which all history is going. That's amazing. Do you see Jesus that way? Just a few months ago, we celebrated Jesus coming as a baby. Don't keep Jesus in the manger. He doesn't fit there anymore. Don't see Jesus just simply as a carpenter. 
whose father was Joseph and taught him how to make tables and chairs. Don't even just simply see Jesus as a savior dying in Jerusalem, which he is. We have to see him as more. He's the heir of everything. Everything. He's the final goal of the life of the individual, the life of the human race to which all history is going because he's the creator and he's the sustainer. That makes my life and your life Jesus' inheritance. Regardless of what you do with Jesus right now, one day you will stand before him. You'll stand before him. He was raised from the dead so that one day all history would find its completion in him. Now there's a phrase that's become popular in the last couple of years. Maybe you've heard it on you know, news programs or something like that, but people will say, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. You don't want to be on the wrong side of Jesus. That's where history's going. What this means is that your success or your failure in life and my success and my failure in life is not so much wrapped up in how much money I have, how many achievements I make, uh, what kind of family I'm a part of or what my family does, what my work is. My success or failure as a human being is not wrapped up in those things. My success or failure as a human being is wrapped up in what do I do with Jesus? What's my relationship like with him? What's your relationship like with him? It's all about relationship with Jesus. One author said it this way as well, picking up the galaxy theme again. Let's assume, if you would, let's just assume that the distance between the earth and the sun, which is about 92 million miles, something like that, you know, give or take a few, is the thickness of this sheet of paper. Okay, so the distance between the earth and the sun is the thickness of this sheet of paper. What that means then is that the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of papers about 70 feet high. And then if we extrapolate on, the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of papers about 361 miles long. Now think about that just for a second. Our galaxy, that is 361 miles long of paper stacked up, is a speck of dust in the universe. A speck of dust in the universe. And the author of Hebrews says, Jesus holds it all together by the power of his word. Now, do you invite that individual into your life to be your personal assistant? Or do you invite that individual into your life to be your Lord? Jesus is greater. 
Some of you know this, but C.S. Lewis was um, really troubled in his day and age because what he saw people doing is he saw people saying, you know what, I really like the teachings of Jesus. I don't believe, I don't believe that he's God or anything like that, but I really like the teachings of Jesus. They're really helpful. I mean, he's a moral guy. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis came up with was what's called the trilemma. It's like, look, it doesn't work. It doesn't work to simply say that Jesus was a great moral teacher. It doesn't work when you look at what he really taught. When you look at what he really taught, he would say, I am able to forgive sins. Why? Because I'm God. And so so C.S. Lewis said, you've got three real options when you're looking at Jesus. He's either a liar or he's a lunatic or he's the Lord and you give your whole life to him. You give your whole life to him. You don't treat him like a personal assistant. You relate to him as he is, the heir of all creation, the one who right now sustains everything that exists and through him everything was created. And that's you and that's me And the success of our life depends on, do we know him? Are we in good relationship with him? One other reason why Jesus is greater is that Jesus is the purification for our sins. Jesus knows that, Jesus knows this. He knows that all of history is going towards him and Jesus also knows all about us and our lives. He knows every aspect of us. He knows what we're tempted to. He knows where we have rebelled against him. We know where we, he knows where we doubt him. He, he knows where we, um, or we just don't want to trust him or we, we know what Jesus might say but we don't want to follow it anyway. He knows all those types of things. He knows when we have ignored him. He knows your whole story. He knows all of that and Jesus knows that even though all human history is going to stand before him at some point in time, he knows that you and I in and of ourselves with our lives as they are by our own terms, we're not ready to meet him face to face we're not ready and this is what's so astounding about the God who is there so astounding about who Jesus is is that Jesus has done everything necessary for you and me no matter who we are no matter what we've done no matter what's been done to us he has done everything necessary so that you and I can approach seeing him face to face with delight and joy and not terror. Because everything that separates us and him has been taken care of by him. He's made purification for our sins. That's what author of Hebrews is telling us in verse three. The God of the universe against whom I have sinned deeply and offend every day with my actions, my thoughts, with my attitudes. God was not content to let my sin get in the way of a relationship with me and a relationship that I would have with him and with you. This is the God who's there. Anything else is speculation. If someone treated me the way that I have treated God, 
in my short, almost 51 years of life, I would not want to have anything to do with that person. And yet Jesus purifies me because he died in my place. Jesus purifies you because he died in your place. That's what he was doing hanging on the cross, purifying us of our sins. It's not just the extent to which Jesus will go to purify us. It's also that Jesus comes to identify with us. This is something that I think Tim Prince will talk about in a couple weeks. It says later on in the book of Hebrews chapter two, it says, we see him, this is Jesus. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We see him crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. What that means is, is that when you and I experience great sorrow, great difficulty, one of the phrases that's used really well at times now is, be nice to everyone because everyone has a battle that they're raging and that they're going through that nobody else knows about. Jesus knows exactly what that battle is. And Jesus has been through a battle like yours that you're going through right now. And Jesus is able to identify and walk with you. He doesn't promise to always deliver us from the difficulties that we're in, but he does always promise, because he's greater, to be right there with us, right alongside of us, going through any difficulty, knowing how to care for us, giving us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it, as he sees what we need. Why? Because he knows what it's like to suffer. The God of the universe, the God who holds everything together, the God to whom everything is going one day is a God who suffered with us, alongside of us. Jesus is greater. Is that how you see him? As greater. Invite the worship team up. If you're in the room, would you please stand? I want to pray for us. Lord, Lord, as we begin this series, we desire to see you for who you are. We desire to not let our speculations or our doubts or our own inclinations or intuitions about what you might be like get in the way. We want to see you for who you are. We want to believe you for who you are. We want to follow you for who you are. We want to tell our neighbors about you for who you are. We want to know that we will see you one day for who you are face to face. We thank you that that day doesn't have to scare us. 
can give us great delight because we know you right now and we're beginning to know you and trust your heart. And you've done everything that needed to be done that we could see you face to face with great joy. God, would you please, Holy Spirit, would you please fix our eyes on Jesus for he's greater. Thank you. Amen.